everyone, and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street. A monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on all of the usual socials or subscribe to our Patreon for bonus content and merch. You can find all of that by visiting us at allmylinks.com backslash A Nightmare on Fear Street or in our episode descriptions wherever you're listening to this podcast at. All right, everyone, we are back today, and today we have a we have a episode, because we are, it's going to be a minute, y'all, get ready. We are covering Creep 1 and 2 with our social media, one of our social media winners from Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it She's today. She's Twitter. <laughs> the artist formerly known as Twitter, uh, Josh Cervantes. Yay. Ooh. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy I won a Twitter competition to be here today. Listen, I'm so excited. I just love <laughs> I just love that you pulled up and you're like aliens. And remind me that weekend where I found out that aliens upsets my spirit on live. <laughs> that was a weekend. That was a time. I just got more and more angry as we went, but we couldn't stop. <laughs> it was so funny watching that series because it was the first time I'd ever seen it. Loved the first one, loved the second mm-hmm. one, and then my heart just started hurting as it went by. <laughs> I was with a, I was with a friend in Texas this week, and he showed me the Matrix series for the first time because I'd never seen the Matrix yeah. before, and it was really interesting to see how the Matrix is very re- like reminded me a lot of how Alien works too. I liked the first one, liked the second one, and then everything from there just you know started making me very angry and sad. <laughs> so yeah, that's why <laughs> some franchises don't need to really be there. Oh. <laughs> Um, which is funny because this month we're doing double, double toil and trouble where we're doing double features and it's lined up. So all of them are now in the first one and the sequel. Cause we had a couple originals and remakes and then they went away. Yeah. Oh wait, we've got one more, but we're, we'll get to that. It's yeah. kind of a sequel. You know what? Yeah, no, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, no, we definitely are in here with creep because what a way to name a movie and let people know what the fuck is going on. It's the creepiest movie. Girl, don't take my hot take. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But before we get into Creep 1 and 2, let's get caught up with Josh. Uh, what you been up to? Oh, man. I have been up to things. Uh, life is good. Life is crazy. Life is hectic. You know, seasons are changing. Lifestyles are changing. Right now, I am in a play at... Uh, Red Twist Theater in Chicago. It is called Wolves. It is a queer reimagining, a deconstructed queer reimagining of Little Red Riding Hood. Two two, uh, boyfriends or former boyfriends named Ben and Jack are living in a home together. They've recently separated and they're just kind of kicking it as roommates. Ben is very, very afraid of going out into the outside world. He's afraid of the that lurk out there and what they can do to everybody and Jack is ready to go outside and get laid so Jack goes outside to a bar brings home a person who Ben perceives as a wolf and then chaos ensues it is a really really fun um, less than 90 minute one act play tons of blood tons of gore tons of kink and queer it's a lot of fun so if you're around Chicago Illinois Thursdays through Sunday come check us out at Red Twist Theater we are performing Wolves Sometimes I wish I was going to Chicago more often because I would see that. That sounds good. Right? It's it's a lot of fun. It's we may need to plan a trip, right? Listen. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> that sounds right up our alley. Right? It's, it's it's a good one. It's a fun one. And I never really call a lot that I do good or fun ones. So this one is a good animal. <laughs> we're having a good time. Listen. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're fun. They're, ne- they're not usually both. <laughs> never the both. 
very akin to horror movies. Sometimes they're good, they're fun. This one's a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you add kink and queerness to it, and it's the perfect combination for a there perfect spoopy time. Love it. Exactly. Poopy time viewing. So, uh, what you been? I've been watching, reading, playing, anything. Do you want to? You know what? This, this has consumed a lot of my time. Um, so this is mostly what I've been doing. Other than that, I have just been watching Big Brother. It is Big Brother, twenty four seven. The live feeds, everything happening on that show, and it's a wild, crazy season. That's a whole other podcast to talk about, though. So yeah. Josh and yeah. I could be here for weeks talking about this. <laughs> big, big Big Brother and rehearsals and being in this play have consumed my my time lately. So that's what I've been doing. Gotcha. Love it. Love it. Um, okay. And remind all of our listeners of your socials where they can find you on the interwebs. Oh God. You know what? I actually just recently changed my handles cause I felt like I needed to be a new person. Um, my Instagram handle <laughs> is underscore Texmex 92. That's Texmex T E X M E X nine two. And I believe on Twitter, I'm still at, Sir underscore Vontez one. That's S I R underscore V A N T E Z one. But Love yeah, it. I think that's where you can find me. <laughs> just just search Joshua Cervantes and yeah, just just find me somewhere. He'll be tagged on the sure, social media, so sure. just click that. Just, that too. Just do there that. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I really liked him. Let me go back to that Instagram post. Right. So <laughs> or, or I really hated him. Let me make sure we're blocking his. <laughs> 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 I mean, this kid's annoying why is he back <laughs> all right y'all well let's get in to the first creep it's called creep um josh creep. what's one of your first thoughts oh god Can one I of my creep? first thoughts yeah, yeah. Sorry. it's funny were you thinking of the tlc song or the radiohead song what type of oh, person are you, i went tlc you think of? I went, see i was thinking radiohead i went tlc this time normally i go radiohead but because trent yeah. was trying to find that rhythm i went with that one <laughs> <laughs> we vibe here we vibe here oh man first thought about this movie so i first watched this back in 2015 when i first moved to chicago <laughs> a friend of mine a friend of mine suggested it as part of my um halloween watch what a fucked up movie what a wild ride there's a lot to get into with this movie i i, I think the first thought that just comes to mind there's a reason i don't know if it's this one or the second one they have uh, like a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes um, and for a, for a found footage movie, holy shit, does this one kind of, as I'm talking out of my ass here, but holy shit, does this one do it right? Yes. This is so much fun to watch. I, I didn't even know these movies existed until like two, three years ago. And then we did a watch party because Jamie from Bloody Rods, of course, she's our culture girl, was like, you've not seen Creep. And so we did like a watch party. And we did doing a watch party for the second one because the first one was so good. And so I like that we get to see them without having other people on the phones, like the sitter sit there in the creepiness and like make some more observations about this person who is a fucking character. I... As most millennials, I, I'm fine with the Duplass brothers. I think Mark Duplass is out here doing stuff. Sometimes it's cool. Sometimes I'm not the audience for it. But he seems like a nice person. I don't have receipts being like he's out here embarrassing somebody on the internet. And so I, I was like, okay, what's he doing? I'm going to try it. And what do you know if he's not the creepiest little bastard? And I, <laughs> I want him under this umbrella more often. Please green light whatever the fuck he's working on next. Yeah, like absolutely agree with everything both of you said i this movie especially the first one mastered the art of a jump scare 
that first jump scare where he's in the car and it's like, I was like, because I didn't expect something like that so early on in the movie, A, but also like, I'm just getting used to like the equilibrium of what this kind of movie is going to be. And suddenly I'm jolted out of that and it gets me, and this is like the second or third time I've watched this movie, it gets me every fucking time. And I don't know why. I'm happy you brought that up because it does quite the gate creepy as fuck, which is why it avoids that trap that a lot of things fall into. Because how often do we see movies where the first 20 minutes are unnecessary? Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. I was watching movies, um, I, I was watching movies a lot with, with friends in Texas and a lot of them were horror films. And I remember at one point I thought, you know, I'm, I, I know a lot of, a lot of the mission for horror movies in the first 20 minutes is to humanize their characters so that we go on the journey with them. I don't care. Most of the time I want to, I want to be on the journey as if I'm on the journey because that gives me a greater connection to the person that I'm there with. We'll get into Aaron, the character in in a moment, because I have a lot to say about Aaron, but I do agree with you, Sheree. I appreciate, and Trent, I appreciate that this movie jumped right there. It just, you're, you're scared in the first five minutes and it's a jump scare that's not underscored by music or a jump scare that just is not music. It is literally you being terrified by this creep. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it sets the tone because you know exactly who he is. You're just like, oh, that's how he introduced himself? We're in trouble. And every, every like three, five minutes, he's up in the ante on weirdness. Like, it's not even 10 minutes later, he's like in the bathtub. And you're like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I, I, before we get into the bathtub, because that is a whole mention. Uh, but I, so th- the only jump scare I can compare this one to that gets me literally every time, just because I can never figure out the timing of this jump scare, is Anne Heche and I Know What You Did Last Summer. That jump scare <laughs> where she like pops up at the window, I'm like, oh God, every fucking time. So I'm like, I know it's coming, I know it's coming. Oh shit! <laughs> Because I can't figure out, is it five seconds? Is it three seconds? Is it two? I don't know. She just pops up. <laughs> but this bathtub scene, y'all, this is the, well, uh, the first major, major red flag to me. I'm like, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Why are we in this place? And I want to leave. <laughs> I, like, that just paired with his I'm not altogether eyes. Because we've all had that supervisor who is completely in a different other universe. Um, like, he's giving Ellen. Remember when we found out Ellen was scaring her employees and shit? That's what he's giving. The whole movie. <laughs> it's it's just completely terrifying. Your first... It is explained to us at the beginning of the movie that Aaron, who is driving to his destination to meet the creep, whose name is Joseph, is answering an ad to go be a videographer for some guy. Mm-hmm. Good for him. He needed a job. He's going to go live his life. But... Your first interaction with this man, he scares, well, he, he scares the shit out of you, just pops out out of nowhere and scares you. There's an axe just open out in the middle of the field, and, and, and Aaron is not catching, you know, maybe stranger danger, I should just leave. Yeah. Upon, an, like, meeting him, Joseph goes ahead and hands him, like, his down payment. Here's your money. This is for you. He says something along the lines of, this is no longer a business transaction. You and I are going to be very close after this. I'm just going to say... If a man that I'm supposed to work for scares the shit out of me in our first encounter with each other, immediately goes into his full life uh, history about his um, his wife, his cancer, why he's doing this, and then gets into a bathtub naked right in front of me, I think I'm taking the money and running. Listen. I don't think that there's anything that I want to stay here for. Listen, listen, because like, 
I'm not going to lie. We've all been a little bit of Aaron, especially because we grew up on the internet. And so it's not weird to meet people on the internet and be like, they have a job. I'm going to go to see what happens. Or right. we're going to go on a date and see what happens. And so like, we're already like, oh, just don't feel good when I'm to the woods, girl. Uh, <laughs> and like that escalation, because like, had he not given them the money up top, I'd have been like, we've all stayed with people who definitely ended up bad stories because of capitalism. But because he got the money up front, I'm like, Aaron, Aaron, girl. Um, and that's why I'm looking at Aaron as this night Eve baby the whole movie and he keeps proving me right and I hate that for him but I also think that that's part of what Joseph picks up on because he's just like when I do these things I'm reading them and if they respond this way I know they're in all day yeah I definitely have problems understanding Aaron for one he did not know this was a man who had the job because when he was driving up there he's literally like it could be a woman who wants me to to massage her or give her all these oh, stuff. Right. Yeah, he he has no idea what this job is other than it's a videography job, a videography job, and it's like, what do you re- like? I understand it's the internet and we grew up on it, but like internet safety, y'all, internet safety. I took that as him knowing somebody named Joseph reached out to him, but also knowing people get catfished all the time. Like, we're living in, an, not even a month ago, that one girl was like, that man from Stranger Things is into me. Let me give him all my money and break up my marriage. Uh, um, <laughs> and I'm like, girl. Um, and so, again, people get catfished all the time. And so I thought that was him just sort of being like, this is what I think is supposed to happen. But also, it could be this, it could be that. It could be so many things. Because people lie. I wrote a whole play about cool. people lying on the internet. <laughs> you did. And I directed it one time. That, uh, that is fair. But I will say... That is the least of my problems with Aaron. My the yes. least of my like, what the fuck is going on, Aaron? <laughs> like, what are you doing here? He's giving damsel in distress um, because he's making all the like naive fool baby choices we normally see the ingenue makes, which is another reason why I think it helps with the queerness of the film because like that's normally reserved for like the big busted blonde girl who's just like I believe all strangers are good, <laughs> but now it's Aaron and people are like, you should be smarter. <laughs> Well, and I do. I I definitely like the idea of flipping that um, archetype on its head of having it be a male male situation, especially with like this stalker vibe we get into later on in the film. I think that's interesting. Yes, one hundred percent. While we're while we're in a little second of pausing, though, I think the Peach Fuss song and Dan should have been released as a single. Why is it not just uh. out there on YouTube? <laughs> Did we see Peach Fuzz before we got into the bathtub, or did we see the bathtub before we saw Peach Fuzz? Bathtub, then Peach Fuzz. Yeah. Bathtub, then He was like, I'm naked, and that's his character. I mean, he probably had some Peach Fuzz, but like... Oh, there you go. (laughs) We get get tubby time with Joseph, which is the creepiest thing I've seen in such a long time. First of all, it is not creepy for me to think, okay, a father... Is going to have a nice little tubby time with his child, you know. But don't call it tubby time. And don't invite another stranger. But also, the the actions that he is, you know, simulating with what would potentially be an unborn child during tubby time are things that are just like, oh, this is not just, you know, a happy parent, you know, having fun bath time with their kids. This is something different and maybe not okay. And why is, why is Aaron not running? You're getting tubby time. You're getting peach fuzz. Joseph is constantly just jumping out and scaring you. 
Well, I don't understand why Aaron was so tolerant of these things. What sane person would stay? I didn't know exactly how much money was supposed to be on the table because this feels like we're in the million dollar area for me to be like, he's peach fuzz is with us for a minute. He's driving his peach fuzz. And there's like, I'm not wild about that. Cause you're driving. And like when they're in the woods, in the woods, <laughs> what is where he's taking him? He's like, there's a little peach fuzz inside of you. Yeah. And I shudder everything, every organ, every muscle shudders every time he says that to him. Cause I'm just like, girl, you're in danger. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i yes i i don't i don't and i think that's my my only real like quote unquote complaint about these films is just because like i don't understand this character like at all in the least and i mean that's minor i there's been worse offenders of that so uh i oh yeah i don't i don't know why he stays there's there's no reason unless he's getting supposed to get more money later on here's my thing we all know people who would stay is the sad part i I like that the second one addresses why certain Mm -hmm. people are staying more we'll get into that this first one doesn't i think that this why this is why aaron as a quote-unquote protagonist is hard for me to jump on board with um you know we get so angry at the at the people who are being chased by the killer and don't run by the people who are putting themselves in obvious danger and are not trying to get out. Um, Aaron is very much this character. Aaron is the one who sees every single red flag, who sees every danger. And while he's acknowledging them, he just doesn't care. But I also don't think I understood what his reason for staying was. In the second part, there's a reason for staying. In this one, I don't understand why, why Aaron stayed. He's literally just a gullible baby who is easily manipulated. Like, literally, because we we watched Joseph go through all of the tactics in the abuser's handbook with the love bombing once he escapes. <laughs> we see him with the, my sad story, don't forget. Like, I'm just like, girl, you are, you are being primed for an abusive relationship. And I, I need you to know that. And so, again, unfortunately, we all know people who have stayed in these situations or will stay in situations. And I think it's interesting to see it be a dude because we don't normally get that. Normally we get, it's a lady. She stayed because of these reasons and people can call her a dumb bitch in the Twitter feeds. And so I, I love that. And I don't know if, because so the guy who plays Aaron, he also directed this and he also co-wrote it with Mark Duplass, um, Patrick Bryce. And so I'm wondering how they came to Aaron as a character when they were coming up with this specifically the first film. Yeah. I I suspect because it just he Aaron feels so undeveloped. I feel like they were like, okay, we have this idea of Joseph, and we need another. We need a second per. We need that other person. So let's do. And I think they probably did put in the thought of like, let's make it a man. Let's do because that's an interesting dynamic. But I I I, I agree with what Josh was saying. I just don't think his reasoning is as as fleshed out as it is in the second one and i will say too i do appreciate the timestamp of this movie it's an hour 17 Mm -hmm. and the second one is a little bit longer and i wonder if that timestamp met the second film's timestamp that if we would have gotten some of that like reasoning maybe i don't know i don't think he's underdeveloped i think he's just 
too realistic if that makes sense because again we know the people who stay we know the people we went to school with the people who would stay like <laughs> we know that not my ass like right <laughs> we are some of the few but we see the people get manipulated and we're like girl just leave girl just leave and they never do and so maybe that's why it's frustrating because we see it all the time that is a really good point to make and something that i hadn't thought about before and to backtrack on i mean to piggyback on what um trent said it looked like a lot of the character development for this movie went towards trying to figure out who Joseph was, what Joseph's motivation was. Watching a creep, watching somebody who is like this, and watching their development, and that—that that is a. The camera is mostly only ever pointed at Joseph. We actually barely see Aaron in the film because he's bought behind the camera for the most part. So I do wonder if the reason why we see more "quote unquote" development for Joseph is literally just because he's on the screen the entire time. Mm-hmm. Sheree's saying, though, yeah. that Aaron is just a regular guy, just a normal person, just like the one who just doesn't get away. That is also a very interesting point because we do see that this isn't Joseph's first or second victim. Like, this isn't new to Joseph. Aaron just happens to be the guy who signed up and the guy that's going to go a- along with it. And it is very interesting to see how easy this is for Joseph how easy it is for him to accomplish everything that he's doing. And even in, in like the little ways that Aaron tries to fight back, Joseph is almost so many steps ahead that this is a foregone conclusion that Aaron is not surviving this movie. Listen, listen, yeah. Joseph is kind of the Hannibal Lecter, you know, like this is not his first rodeo. He knows how he wants it to end, which is why we don't see him rattled in this first movie. And I also just think it's fun because we don't get to follow enough villains. I think that we usually get stuck in the final girls. Um, And I love to see women get bags and have agency. But I think that there's also something to be said for following a villain and getting into their pathology a little bit more because we're going to get into the second one. But like seeing him here and then sort of seeing where he's at and getting more detail about this arrangement and what he does and how he does it is sexy. I don't know if I'd say sexy, but <laughs> I, I don't think I'd say sexy either, but I, I would say charming. He is a yes. very charming yes. villain. The, something that sticks out to me. So at the beginning of the movie, when Aaron first gets to Joseph's property, he cannot find Joseph. Joseph is nowhere to be found. However, there is clearly purposefully set up an axe just stumped in wood right there for Aaron to notice that there is an axe there. Later on, when they're in the woods, Joseph just, you know, casually asks Aaron, LOL, Hey, when you saw the axe outside, like, did you think, did you have the intrusive thought that I was going to murder you with it? And he asks this question so casually, so nonchalantly, so charming, in such a charming way, that Aaron does tell him the truth. Aaron does say, yeah, I did. And Joseph is like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Why would you think I'm that type of person? (laughs) And it's that charm that even me, I'd be like, well, only a sane person who actually isn't going to kill me would make up this joke. Hey, did you think I was going to kill you because I have an axe outside? No, man, I'm just a little weird. Sorry. But as long as I talk about me being weird, then you're cool with me being weird, right? I just, I just, I I could never. LOL, I'm I could not never. Cool being weird. I'm running, dude. Right. But that's the, that's the thing. It's because, like, Joseph's working this at two angles. He's working it in the seduction ang- angle because this is clearly, like, 
I'm gonna invite somebody over. We're gonna see what happens. And he's charming him, pull out the stops, and he's being like very open and honest, which men are never want to do. But he's also playing it as the I'm a cult leader. I'm riling up the menace. He's like the wolves because we know wolf packs and we did all that shit. We're not even gonna unpack that again. And he's like, you know, I want to be free and I want to be this and I need that. And he's addressing him that way. So he's playing, he's working him in two angles. And because he's a naive baby, he's falling for both at the same time. And it's just like, girl, look, get your yeah. camera and get the fuck I, out. Yeah, absolutely. I, because like at the time, because yeah, I agree. Sheree, the whole time I'm like, get, get out, get out, get out. Until and then he's trapped when Joseph takes his keys. And then I'm like, oh shit. You are now stuck. You have now stayed long enough that you are stuck. Unless you go on foot, I guess. Can we talk about how it was a creepy movie right up till the sister called? And we find out the sister is, he's using the sister's name for the ex-wife's name. And she's like, get the fuck out. Just get the fuck out. Just start walking. I'll find you. And then he comes out and dude's gone where he was asleep touching himself. Talking about peach fuzz. He's just fucking gone. That's when I'm like, oh fuck. Oh fuck. Sound the alarms. Sound the alarms. Yeah, I absolutely did not see that coming. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, this is more than I thought it was. At Because at first I knew he was something creepy and there was something not right, but I believed his story for some reason. And then when that sister called and was like, actually, none of what he told you is real and I'm his sister, I was like, oh God. Abort the mission. I mean, but even before that, we get like an incredibly off-camera creepy story from Joseph that is just like, this is kind of where like Aaron, after hearing the story, Aaron starts to be like, okay, maybe I need to leave. Maybe I got to yes. go. And we'll talk about the story here in just a little bit, but like, it's, it's right there at that moment that Aaron's brain kind of goes from like, okay, this was all fun and games. I thought I was going to make it out alive to now probably knowing you're probably going to die. I got to go. Like, like he needed to leave at that moment. This whole yeah. scene, the, the story that happened off camera, the, the, the sister calling right after the phone call that ensued, this is an entire moment. It is, it is, it is it is frustration at its highest level. It is, it is, I, I just want to scream at everybody in this movie because of what was happening during those scenes. Yes. Listen. The story that he's telling, I loved that the camera was off. Like, I loved that we were just hearing Joseph tell this horrific story of him essentially raping his wife that isn't real that we find out. Anyway, but like, raping his wife, which is a whole other comment on like, the fact that husbands can actually rape their wives, which a lot of people, a lot of societies still don't believe can happen, but absolutely can. Horrific, but it makes it even more horrific that the screen is blank the entire time. Like, that was good storytelling. I always love that power move. I always love that power move. When they like, let's just like go ahead and black the screen out. Yeah. it's It was also smart for this movie. This movie did a lot of smart things in utilizing the found footage trope it I, I i think i liked a lot of it that it was done from a videographer's point of view so that the footage wasn't just found or like this is something that happened before and we found the footage later and you know we we also have seen before the whole like, hey turn the camera off you promise the camera's off 
promise the camera's off. Okay, camera's off, right? But we still kind of like... My camera ain't ever off. Right, the camera's never <laughs> just off. Y'all know. And the camera's just like off to the side with like a little video screen. No, this happens completely off screen. The camera's clearly still on, but it's done in a way where like, not only does the audience believe that the camera could be off, but the character also believes that the camera could be off. But I also do wonder if Joseph knew that the camera was not off. Like this, this Joseph as a, as a serial killer as a villain, is not a stupid one. He's actually very smart, which makes him more terrifying because of how very intelligent he is. If you told me that Joseph's day job, because I do wonder what his day job is, because did you see where he lives? If you told me that he was just like this high-end like doctor or therapist or something who was just very well off, I'd believe you because his candor and his his, his his the way he speaks to Aaron during the movie is very much like that. It's creepy. It is creepy. Yeah, he's giving therapist that snapped um, <laughs> because like he, I don't want to get too far into it, but we find out he does this pretty regularly, almost almost averaging like one a year it seems because he's turning forty and he's in his fortieth. But I mean, he had to get a little bit of a ramp up because he must have started late because I don't think infants are out here killing. But still, so he's been doing this for a hot minute and he's got his system down and he knows how to read people and manipulate them like a good cult leader. And that's why he's fascinating. Like, he's like Batman, but darker. And I just, I want somebody to dissect that brain. (laughs) Yeah. I will say too, y'all, like, home invasion is the scariest thing to me it is absolutely terrifying and so everything that happens after Aaron leaves Joseph well what he believes is Joseph's place to the end of the film is absolutely terrifying when you when he is looking through his house to see like if someone because he heard the noise in the middle of the night and then he moves away and Aaron is standing in that door. Y'all know, I have said it on this podcast many times. Y'all know how I feel about people standing behind people. Do not stand behind me and not tell me you're there because that is not okay. <laughs> not okay. That is terrifying. The invasion of somebody's space is just always terrifying, especially because, again, we look at it as the dynamic of this man is definitely a was love bombing this person instead of being like, I fucked up. I was like, here's a bunch of gifts. Here's a bunch of poetry. Here's a bunch of videotapes. We've seen that tactic before. Like, again, one of the reasons I'm here for Joseph is because he knows that handbook well. He knows which page to go to. He knows how his prey is going to react because Aaron is like, I'm going to keep recording this and documenting it, but I'm not going to move. I'm not going to go stay in somebody else's place. And truly, (laughs) truly, that is where I stopped rooting for Aaron. And I, and, and, I, and I think that that's also where you realize this isn't a movie where you're supposed to root for the good guy. I don't know if you're supposed to be rooting for Joseph, but I, I, I absolutely wanted to see Joseph win. I wanted to Fine. see what the execution of the end result was going to be. This movie is basically a date. Joseph invited somebody over for a one night stand for a hookup. And the result, the climax, is going to be the murder of the person who came over. And... It's very interesting to hear Joseph talk about how he likes these people so much. He loves them. He's gotten to know them. He's shared so much about them. And it's just like, it's the most beautiful thing in his mind to just like kill them. But yeah, that's where I stopped rooting for Aaron. Because once Aaron like, Aaron tries to drug Joseph so that he can like flee Joseph. I think Joseph knew he was being drugged the entire time. So he didn't play with, he, he played along. But I think he knew the moment where Joseph's phone starts ringing, Aaron answers it. And he mistakes the woman on the phone for 
Joseph's fake wife, but it's actually his sister. I stopped rooting for Aaron there because Aaron is not whispering on this phone. Aaron is screaming on this phone while Joseph is supposedly passed out on the couch in a drug-induced coma that Aaron put him in. And he's screaming on the phone to his sister. And, 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 and when the camera pans out, he's literally like a door away. Of course Joseph woke up. Of course Joseph has fleed. So luckily Aaron got out of the house. But as soon as he starts being stalked and as soon as he starts receiving gifts from Joseph, I don't understand why there's no impetus to just run away. Right? Again, it's frustrating. And again, I've seen this go down in real life to a certain point. And it's always frustrating to watch because you're just like, leave leave and there's always reasons to stay because psychology is wild and we all have our issues because our parents were broken and we're <laughs> carrying on shit instead of being like i should save myself i i will say that the call to the police my, i love that call to the police because the police are always worthless especially these kind of cases because just like well he hasn't killed you yet so we can't do anything <laughs> and it's just like what was the reason for calling you the reason is because he didn't have enough information about the person who was stalking him and sending him these creepy videos of him murdering things. Yeah. Right? It's not enough. It's not enough. We need... What did the police need? What did the police need? Listen, once you're dead, we might ask somebody to come over and investigate. But until then... <laughs> what? Right. You hey just man, next look. If you're not dead and buried yet, we can't help you here. So Right? Call well, us from the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Again, speaking of decisions that make no goddamn sense to me and death, why the hell did he not, why, mm, this whole end scene, why was his back not to the lake that's in front of him? Why did he not turn around? Why did any of that last scene happen? I was just like, can we unpack oh, this for a my bit? Fucking God. Yes, please. The sequence of events. Joseph is stalking Aaron. He finally sends like a final package to Aaron, which contains a video of, of Joseph being like, hey, I know I'm a little off my rocker here. I'm really sorry. But here's the thing. You tried to poison me. So I think we're good, right? Like, yes, I creeped you out. Yes, I tried to murder you. But hey, you tried to poison me. So I think let's let bygones be bygones. I And, and then so he convinces Aaron to go meet him by the lake where it's open, everybody's there. There is water there. Immediately in Josh's brain, I'm like, no, that is next to a body of water. I don't care if it is broad fucking daylight and children playing and trying to catch some fish. It is near a body of water. I'm not meeting you there. I'm probably not going to meet you anywhere, ever. But by a body of water? And then, and then Joseph is just behind you for 45 seconds, literally moving around so much, putting a wolf mask on, taking the ax out, flaring his jacket. And can can Aaron not hear? Again, I think there's two things that play for Aaron here. One is he's a naive, full baby. Like literally, he is the most trusting, puppy-eyed man you're ever gonna meet, um, which is why he let this man continue manipulating him, even though like clearly the real book is open. We've seen the movies, we've seen the songs. He's just like, no, it's different, I care. Yeah. And he just might need a friend. And it's like, girl, get the fuck out. And I think another thing is the privilege of it all, because like, at the end of the day, he's a white man. He gets to like walk the world and not worry about things, even though he has a stalker who knows where he lives and has been in his house while he's been asleep. He's just like, I don't know how to like look over my shoulder. I don't know how to look both ways. I don't know how to be uncomfortable in public because I'm forever safe. I wonder if Aaron had like the intrusive thought of the allure of, <laughs> LOL, what if he did kill me? 
<laughs> or like, what if he did try? What's that experience like? It's the only reason that I can yeah. come up with in my head why Aaron would have wanted to meet Joseph at this lake. Like, mm, lol, what right. if he does try to kill me? What's gonna happen? Well, well this be a fun like, story at brunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And like, even if, even if, let's take out the fact that he went to a body of water to meet this man who is being fucking wild and out crazy and stalking them. Even if I like decided to do that for whatever fucked up reason I did, there's no way in hell I would not be, my back would be to the water because it's far less likely he's going to come from the water than come from the land. I'm just saying. Aaron was full of not smart choices. The movie doesn't set him up to be a person who is ever going to make smart choices. I think something that is fun to realize is that the movie begins with him answering a Craigslist ad to meet a stranger in a secluded forest cabin. So yeah, Aaron is clearly already not a very critical critical thinker here. But yeah, Joseph does say at some point that he was very thankful for for Aaron doing this because it just proved to Joseph that Aaron is just the kindest person in the world. Just the sweetest little baby. Right. But also, like, people back in the day, especially the people who are cheating on Craigslist, are always meet up in weird spaces. Mm-hmm. Which is why some people don't come back and some people end up in the news. <laughs> and so, like, again, it just goes to show that, like, this is definitely a certain... It's almost a period piece now. It's almost a period piece now. Because nowadays, you got the apps, and the apps got trackers. You can send things to your friends, so your friends can be like, he looks like that, and my friend never t- checked back in. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, it was just like fucking Craigslist. It was like, I hope it's not a killer. Good night. That um, is a good point, especially because this movie was yeah. 2014. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like a lot of like trackers and like the social medias that were like tracking everybody were the kind of it thing then i mean i'm sure it was around but it, i don't yeah. think a lot of attraction yeah. about that started happening in 2014 no. well and especially uh, uh, it's also again interesting that, that this is a male male partnership here situation because how many times in the queer community do we or have we in the past just been like sure i'll meet you in the i'll go meet this, this stranger Anon is totally. <laughs> I don't need to see your face before you enter me. Like absolutely, yeah. that is very that that is actually a very very good point because this movie is very queer themed in and of itself. Joseph is very queer coded, and the relationship between them does give very I can fix him or like nothing bad will happen to me because I trust myself and like yeah you are right that is very yeah. wow we make some choices don't we. <laughs> I I just have to circle back because I needed to talk about this because every time I hear this story, I die a little bit and I have more questions. So Aaron tells Joseph in the diner this story about how he kept pissing himself as a child. I, I don't know if it's laziness or trauma, but it went on so long that his mom got a little alarmed to go on his penis. <laughs> so when he pissed himself, it would go off. And I'm just like, without knowing if he's peeing himself out of laziness or trauma, because normally that's trauma. I need more context for this alarm because it sounds like another way of abusing this kid. Right. Also, is that real? Does that really, is that a thing? I also just thought it was interesting that that's the story he told. Because Joseph's been telling a lot of stuff. And he's like, I'm going to tell you the story about how I pissed myself and my mom put an alarm on my dick. And I just also feel like that story specifically (laughs) was a choice that lets people know that Aaron is around for whatever the shenanigans are. See, but I wasn't sure if Aaron was actually telling the truth when he told the story. I wasn't sure. You you hear all of these stories from Joseph. Joseph is telling a story about he 
raped his wife. Joseph is telling these stories about his cancer, about his dad and tubby time. When you have a story to share with these type of stories, I don't think I'm going to tell you about the time I was drunk at McDonald's in the drive-thru. I think I'm going to tell you like the most traumatic thing I've probably ever been through, whether it's real or not. I, 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 I was wondering if Aaron was telling a story to try to match up to, to Joseph. Mm. That would make it interesting. That is interesting. But I also think that that gives Aaron a little bit too much credit because he wasn't trying to match yeah. him up on a whole lot of anything else. Yeah, especially because, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, this is a weird story, but it's not on par with I'm dying and I want my son to know who I was mm-hmm. or the other things, like you said. And I guess at some point, too, if it's, gonna, if it's going to allow a bonding moment, perhaps sharing of traumatic stories is something that Aaron feels connected to Joseph about. Like, there's too much of a connection. Aaron understands trauma, so he can recognize Joseph's trauma. So maybe if he's just kind to him and helps him, then Joseph won't ask Mark. I see that. Perhaps. All right. Well, let's get spicy, y'all. Josh, what is your hot take for the first creep? The first creep, I think, and this is a hot take, he is an underrated villain. Joseph is an underrated villain. And I think in terms of just, like, brutal serial killers, psychopaths who are in horror franchises... I don't think a lot of people hear about Joseph as much as we should probably be, you know, recognizing Joseph as one of the big baddies. Yeah, he's the guy next door, and that's mm-hmm. the scariest monster mm-hmm. there is because every circular lives next door to somebody. He is a charming human. He is a very charming human who looks like he's driving our daughters to soccer practice. Because he probably is. He's giving big Uncle Peck energy for people Absolutely. who know Harlem to drive. Yep. Yeah. It's the guy you don't suspect that's always doing it because yes, I'm in. Um, <laughs> yeah, my actual hot take to get into my own and not yours. I think that this is my probably second favorite found footage franchise. And I know this girls want to fight me because they're just like, you don't even like found footage, bitch, shut the fuck up. But like, I think that this is definitely <laughs> one of the most coherent and cohesive and consistent, even though it only has two movies at the moment that I've seen so far. I think it's also because it's a contained movie with two people. The found footage aspect is so much creepier with two people. The Blair Witch Project succeeded because there are three people on that camera. Time has not been the kindest to the Blair Witch Project. So when Mm -hmm. projects like these kind of pick up on the found footage trope, this one did a very good job. And it makes sense for the camera to be where it's at, which is one of the things that takes me out of found footage. It's because I'm just like, if I'm running from demons, I'm going to put the camera down eventually. Absolutely. (laughs) But like here, you're like... I'm recording this because I don't feel safe. I feel like my life is in danger. (laughs) I'm going to turn the video off, but leave the audio on. Um, And so it makes sense to be there. And it's like, oh no, are we witnessing somebody's demise? Because we Mm -hmm. are. Right. Right. I agree with both of you. I think, so my hot take is (laughs) Creep is the perfect title for this film. Like if I'm watching this movie and didn't know the title, I'd be like, oh, it's Creep because he's a creep. Like, (laughs) App hands easily. Such a good title. Well, let's get in to Creep 2. <laughs> Josh, what's one of your first thoughts for Creep 2? Listen, I have two hot takes on Creep 2. I'm going to open it with my first one. And I yes. know that I'm cheating here and breaking the rules. But my first initial thought about Creep 2, it is so much better than Creep 1. Creep 1 is good. It is mm-hmm. so good. But Creep 2... Everything that I've just criticized about Creep 1 happens in Creep 2. However, they 
they make you aware that they are aware that this is happening in Creep 2. And it is so fucking smart. I, lo- I, I, I love Creep 2. I think Creep 2 is great. Creep 2 is one of my favorite sequels I've seen, especially because everything's getting a sequel right now. Because like you said, it answers, it does all the things that we criticized in the first one. We, we finally get brown people introduced to the space, which again, I'm always rooting for that, even if it is mm-hmm. mostly two people. Like, come on now. Um, we have a woman who's competent and has goals and like is on it and in on it. And so she makes sense why she's there. I love that she throws him off his foot. I love that her being there complicates what we thought his queerness was because we all were like, oh yeah, Joseph's clearly into dudes. But it's like, maybe there's more. There's other alphabets. Maybe it's a different alphabet, but also maybe he's not aware of it until now, which is another reason why she's like fucking with him. Because he he is extra unhinged because he can't control her. Uh-huh. He cannot control this narrative. And it makes this even more fun and exciting to watch. So... I'm a little different. <laughs> yeah, Taurus, of course. <laughs> I I love Sarah. I think Sarah is the one thing the sequel has, in my opinion, that is better than the first one. Absolutely. Hands down. And I agree with you about the brown folks. I love that. I lo- There's so much about the sequel that I love. I don't dislike the sequel. I was more scared from the first one. The first one scared me more than the sequel. Did. Oh. And it could be because my note, I literally have a note that's like, I... It may be my hot take, but whatever. I'm curious because I watched them both like back to back. Like Mm -hmm. literally I ended one and started two. And I wonder if I had the space between the two, like when they were released, if I would have felt the same way. I I just wasn't as scared. Like that last part of one terrifies me, like terrifies me. One is scarier, but two is more interesting script-wise. Like, story-wise, it's it's more compelling and it's juicier. And so, like, I think that that's that. But I also watched them back-to-back this time around without people on the phone because it wasn't a watch party. And it feels like a full story. It doesn't feel like a sequel that came later. It feels like the other year or the next year. Because he's still using Aaron's name. Right. Him taking Aaron's name is wild. He's no longer Joseph in the second one. He's Aaron in the second one. And it makes me wonder who was Joseph. That's what I was wondering. Because, like, he just takes on his... Which is another thing. Because, like, let's say that... He says he's killed men and women. But let's say 30 of those are dudes. That means that, like, this is not just him going on, like, bad dates and then killing the people. This is him wanting to become the person he's attracted to. Which is a whole other pathological thing to unpack. Well, now this makes me ask another question, then. In the first movie, when his sister calls she needs to talk to joseph right she's asking to speak to joseph on the phone mm-hmm. so if if he has potentially taken the names to his victims before of, of his victims before i do now question is his sister or is that an actor he's paid to ah, make a call good point yeah or is this a mental illness that the, the sister's like okay he's going by joseph i now. see i have to use joseph it could be so many things. Or it could have been the real Joseph's phone and he could be just like living the real Joseph's life and the sister's not knowing. What if what if he's not even... Oh my God. What? So I think that that's why I like this one a lot though because there aren't a ton of questions that I have about... I guess let's call him Creep now since he's Joseph Aaron. There's a lot of questions that I have about him more so from the second one than I do in the first one. In the first one, I'm just watching a very creepy villain be a villain. This second one, he is very fully realized into his who his own self is. It complements the character in such a way that he looks 
dead in the camera and says, I'm a serial killer. He's like, I don't really like that word. I'd prefer to call myself a murderer, but I guess my count qualifies me as a serial killer now. And yeah. hearing him have these revelations and taking himself, not taking himself seriously, well, yes, but being self-aware of what he's doing yeah. and just speaking about it is a whole different... And also, she doesn't believe him. He's telling the truth. And Sarah is listening to him, and she doesn't believe him. And so at first, because she doesn't believe him, I'm like, you are ridiculous. You are insane, girl. Girl, run. But then she goes to the camera, has a little one-on-one with the camera, and she's like, listen, I know all the red flags are flying right now. I know that they are blood red. But she's like, but... I'm the type of person that's into this shit. So let's see how far I can go. And I am here for the ride because he's going to fuck with her and she's going to fuck with him. And I'm excited. It makes it more interesting when the person isn't just like a naive baby because she's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm putting this knife in this boot. Let's find out. And also, I just, because again, we're millennials. We know what it's like to be doing what it is that you think is your calling and is your lane and nobody gives a fuck. And so she's got her series on YouTube or whatever. And she's got like three followers. She's like, I guess I'm going to go ahead and fucking end it because nobody gives a shit. And then she's like, oh, this is something that might actually get me the attention that I deserve. Mm -hmm. And we have all done some risque stuff or some things that we are not proud of. I know I almost had a Shakespeare on my resume. You know I don't fuck with Shakespeare. <laughs> In order to get to where we want to go. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm I, alone in this room. Think, You're not alone. As I'm, I'm alone. hiding my face in shame <laughs> with for all of my classical Shakespeare credits that I no longer put on my resume. I'm just hiding. Listen, we do what we have to do to get where we want to go. And I love that Sarah, she feels like she's from New York or Chicago. You know, she's like, go ahead and show me or stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's got that kind of attitude. And that's why she's like, oh, yeah, he's not a serial killer. He's throwing tantrums. He's a man baby because we've all met these man babies. And the more he can't rattle her, the more unhinged he gets. And so she's just like, this is a typical day with a generic white dude in well, <laughs> 2000 or whatever. And I I also, A, I want to go back a little bit and just say, I do think you're 100% correct, Shrey. I think that I was responding to, this is a more interesting story, whereas I think the first one is a scarier story, uh, or scarier movie, anyway. They're both scary stories, because, like, let's face it, men are men. But, like, I also really picked up on the second one that he's such a fucking film bro. Uh -huh. Like, he is our... <laughs> He uh, he is those few negative reviews we have on I, on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. That is who this man is. His my Coppola, <laughs> right? He's Francis Ford Coppola. Don't give a shit about you. He's like, so get the fuck out of here. So pretentious. And again, I think he's picked up this film persona because he knows film really means something to her. Because I think she's a film student, uh -huh. and that's part of the reason she's got her show. She's and an so MFA, right? She's trying to yeah. get her grad degree. Yeah. So he's again doing the manipulative thing of let me put on the interest of this person I'm about to pursue. Because mm -hmm. he never met you Coppola before. Right. And I think that that's why she believes, she doesn't believe that he's actual, actually a killer. Because he opens it up, not verbatim, but like they make the you're, you respect filmmaking, I respect filmmaking, and I'm here to make a film about you. So even when he shows Sarah the video of him taking an axe to Aaron's head. When when he takes yeah. an axe to Aaron's name in the first movie, he's showing Sarah that footage, and Sarah's just like, well, that's cool. 
that's interesting. Is that you? I had wondered while watching it, does Sarah think that this is like a little indie film that he made? Like a little horror mm -hmm. film that he made? That he's not actually an axe murderer? He just is into this type of shit? Because she says, I'm into this stuff too. Right? Right? And again, mm -hmm. like he, he was not prepared for her which is why i mean he's still on task but like also he just wasn't he was not prepared and so he's every white man i've upset by trying to say something logical at my job uh, and just like <laughs> see her be trapped with him in the woods all day uh -huh. i and i also just love the fact that he is a serial killer talking about killing people like at the nine to five and he's just ready to retire. Mm -hmm. That is so fucking funny to me. <laughs> and it adds another layer of charm to this creep. And I hate how charming this creep is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so well done in showing the multifacets of human nature. Her, 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 her MFA project is that she wants to show the very eccentric personalities that are found on Craigslist ads. Mm -hmm. This is the most eccentric one that she's found. So eccentric to the point that she does not believe him. She sees every red flag. She acknowledges them. She tells us, the audience, hey, I've, I've got them and I know I'm being stupid. She says, I know I should be running. But she's like, but I got to see this one through. And for some reason, I'm over here thinking, well, now I have a counter to Joseph Aaron. Now I have somebody who's going to push him. So as an audience member, as a viewer, I want to watch what she can do too. I want to know because it was so easy for Joseph to get Aaron in the first movie. It was so easy. And immediately within the first 10 minutes of the second movie, we're told it's not going to be easy. We're shown it's not going to be easy. He, in his initial meeting with her, is the flabbergasted one. He is the one who doesn't know how to react to her. So his... His let me be crazier than you is to run upstairs, get naked, come down and be like, hey, while I was upstairs, I had a thought. He was upstairs for 30 seconds taking his clothes off. And right? she's down. And she's down. It's it's so, it's it's cool. Let's talk about that. Because him getting naked was shocking because we never get full frontal male nudity on film. Um, and then for her to be like, is it my turn? And to see him be like, what? And then to see him zoom in on her face and not the rest of her body, that mm -hmm. never fucking happens. It's usually the other way around. I've yelled on this podcast all three fucking years. She's entering tank first and he's in a business or a track suit because he was cold that day of filming <laughs> and nobody gave any shit what she was cold or not. And I, again, that's another reason why I'm here for Mark Duplass and this franchise because mm -hmm. it's not... It's not making the male great gaze creepy as it normally does. It's just like, no, I don't care about seeing you naked. I'm looking at your face. I'm trying to read you because yeah. that's not what I wanted you to do. And even in his nudity, there was almost something not sexualized about it. And I have no problem with nudity being sexualized. You know, whatever. Live your life. Yeah. But this this, this moment of him doing it, it's, it's not, I didn't get like, creepy gropey rapey vibes from it i got very just like this man is insane i got that he was trying to push her he was trying mm -hmm. to provoke her and get a response from her and she wasn't giving it to him so that's why the whole give and take uh -huh. commences I, I yeah i agree with everything i think that it's interesting how this film builds itself as it continues, it's different and not necessarily better than or worse than, but just different than the first one. Because uh -huh. this one, we go in knowing who he uh -huh. is. Like we, as an audience, we know 
Joseph Aaron. We know that he is psychotic. So it's like, what's going to help build this one is that she is probably also a little psychotic. That's a very good point. A little unhinged. Yeah, she she comes in there with absolutely a little uh, credit to her name as well, especially... The, like like what we mentioned from the first one, this movie does, it's formulaic. It does almost every single thing that happens in the first one. He immediately tries to jump scare her. He tries to jump scare her so many times and it's just not working. She cannot get scared. I think in the first text messages that they share with each other, he asks her, do you scare easily? <laughs> and her response is just like, mm, nah. and she's proving it to him. He has no clue what to do with her. But his tactics of continuing to win his game, which he's determined to win, are so fascinating in this one. Because he just resorts to being a full-on child. Yeah. Like, literally. I've seen the male tantrums before, but hot damn. He does not know what to Right? He doesn't know what to do with her. And to the point to where, like, when she crawls into the hot tub with him, he is literally not okay. He's Mm -hmm. like, the tables have turned too fucking far. I must... Like, obviously, she's going to feel like she has him under control because she's just watching an unstable baby man-child while she is ready to pounce if she has to. I, 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 I was into Sarah. Listen. Yeah, I do think I do think that him being so much of a man-child, which he is in the first one, too, it makes him a little less scary. Yeah. And that may be why I was responding to how unscary he is. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. I look at men children, specifically white <laughs> men children of a certain age. Like I do politicians who are the most dangerous. And so I'm like, this is even That's scarier true. because he's not even pretending to be on top of his shit anymore. He is showing the cracks. What's he going to do? He's going to have to lose. Things are not going his way. And so I was actually more terrified to see what he's going to do to her. And I thought it was going to be worse mm-hmm. than Aaron. That is very interesting, though, to take away those two perspectives from it because I, from my perspective, I also was not as scared in this one as I was in the first one, but I do wonder if it's because the entire movie for the most part is being shown through the lens of Sarah. She's the one behind the camera. She's the one showing it. And if she doesn't have a lot of fear, which she isn't showing us that she does, Mm. it's hard for me to attach any fear onto that if she's not showing me that she's scared whereas aaron in the first movie aaron was scared a lot in the first movie so i was afraid a lot in the first obviously throughout the movie i got nervous i was like fuck what is what is joseph aaron going to do to sarah in this movie i i hope he doesn't get her i think he might get her is he gonna get her like that's obviously a thought but i couldn't help but from her lens that we're being showed also think Oh, is she going to get him? What if she gets him? What's going to happen? I kind of want her to get him. So I, it was, this movie feels more like a movie of cat and mouse to me and more yeah. of a thriller rather than like the creepy, scary horror movie that was the first one. But they all feel like a very self-contained story to me. Like it's hard for me to yeah. see the second one as a sequel. It's very much the way that I look at it is like, this is just what happened right after. This is just the yeah. aftermath. This is something that like if it's easy yeah. and they're very short movies, they're only about an hour and 20 minutes each. So watching them all mm-hmm. together in one sitting for me, I think is why I came off with that some more because I was just watching the the next episode, in my opinion. It, it's almost like Barbarian because Barbarian has that shift mm-hmm. and we're with the same situation but different people for a minute is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. But like instead of the house, it's Joseph slash right. Aaron. Um, and so like, again, even though it's a good time, it is a sequel. And so with any sequel, there's diminishing returns because you know roughly what to expect and so like 
Michael Myers isn't as scary in the sequels because we've seen what he did in the first one. Right. We know his moves. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that. I do think this this does, going off what Josh was saying, this does feel very much almost like an anthology. It's like a different story with the same killer, but he's doing something different. And I, that is true. I'm curious, how did that last scene play with you two? I, for me... I thought it was too long and it didn't hit the way I think they wanted it to for me personally. I thought it was fascinating because we know that he's alive now and he's still stalking her much like he did Aaron. Um, And so he's just been like, hi, the game's still on bitch. And again, I don't think we need sequels for everything, but I do want to know what happens next because she's the one that got away. I see your point, Trent. I do feel like that final scene is long. And it isn't very clear where our vantage point is. The last thing that we see from her, she hits him in the back of the head with a shovel. The camera's pointed on him and she runs. So we don't see what happens to the camera. We don't see what happens to the footage. The very next scene that we see the camera's vantage point is a bit aerial. And it focuses on her. And then the very next scene, and it is a very long drawn out scene. The very next one is him with the camera stalking her. It was long, and I didn't get the vantage points, so it threw me out a little bit on what I think that they were trying to accomplish with the last scene. What I will give applause for, though, is that final shot. The final shot where her eyes aren't fully into focus, and then he's whistling at her, and then you just see her eyes go into focus directly at the camera, and they just widen because she realizes. I thought that was beautiful. I wish that that final shot had been executed in a more contained shortened sequence or scene or something that was a bit more isolating. I I do think it was cool that it happened on the New York City subway, so it's in public, so we don't know where she's going to end up next or what's going to happen. But I do agree with you. It's it was very long. It just felt very long. I wish because like I thought the the intro scene was very Mm -hmm. strong. Like the pacing of that scene was strong. The characterizations was that was happening were strong. Um I wish it would have matched that. Yeah. Like I needed just a quick It even looked in and it out. even looked different than the rest of the movie in terms of how it was filmed or what the yeah. quality was. It did almost kind of look like that final scene was like something that they just needed to add for the final scene. They probably Or like the studio was like, We might well we might want a third yeah. one. Put a Put scene, a scene in, there. in there. It was very <laughs> it, it was very haphazard, in my opinion. Yeah. No, it did look different. But I do like that. She thought it was over. She thought he was done and he ain't. And we get to know that he's still out there, whether or not we get a sequel or not. Because again, I, I'm i usually anti the sequels, but I'm fascinated. And so I'm going to show the fuck up as long as I keep making these. Um. Well, and it's also an interesting statement, even if they don't get a sequel that like these creeps are still out mm-hmm. there. I mean, like when there is one, there is many like cockroaches. Yeah. Like, no. Uh, and so I, I did like that aspect. I just wish, I wish we could have just cut everything of her walking on the street and just gone straight to her. on the that, That's something that I kind of thought for too. I didn't under, I mean, I guess I understand the purpose of wanting to see them out on the street. It humanizes mm-hmm. them. We see them living their lives. We saw that Sarah is okay. Her hair is longer. Her hair is different. She looks like she's okay. So I guess that there's that, the, that catharsis moment of seeing her okay after all of this. And then immediately again, she's not. I kind of like him following her for a minute because it it makes it seem like he's been getting her routines down, which makes it even scarier because Uh, he's been observing her for weeks, months, who knows how long, because she's not noticed. 
that's terrifying. And that's how stalkers move. Like mm-hmm. most of the, the people yeah. I know who have had stalkers did that they had a stalker until they wanted to be known. That That's fair. That is a good point. Josh, what is your hot, hot take? take? Sarah is a much better character than Aaron, which I think is the sole reason why I find this movie to be more compelling because this movie to me seems like two people who are in a battle against each other rather than just watching somebody prey on somebody else. Um, both movies are really, really good. I, I would, I, I think I will always recommend if anybody wants to find a really, really good um, found footage series, this is the one. This is the one. Second it, second it. I think that Sarah is what we needed to shake up this sequel because it would have been stale had we pulled in another Aaron who was a naive baby to just go through the same beats. We needed to see it. It's kind of like when you have to like revise your shit to just see where it all lands as a writer and you write one where everything goes completely right for your character. Um, and then you write one where everything goes completely wrong for your character. And then you find what works from each and you like put that into your next draft, if that makes sense. And so I... I love seeing Joseph Aaron have a very good no bad day Uh, and see what that looks like. (laughs) (laughs) My actual hot take, though, is Sarah should be given more attention as a final girl because she's not like the others. Like, she's like, I'm here for reasons. I have goals and ambitions. I'm also going to stab you if you try me. And I love that because so often we see the final girls who have to learn how to be final girls, the Laurie Strohs, the Sydney Prescotts. And they're just like, I'm going to cry for a, a movie. But then like in the sequels, I'll fight you. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, we could just go ahead and come in as fighters. Some yeah. of us are scrappy. And she came in scrappy. Didn't she though? And mm-hmm. that's why I'm here for this bitch. Yeah, I, I agree with both of your hot takes. I think my hot take is Sarah is better than Aaron as a character Hands down, more fleshed out, more well-rounded, more interesting. The dynamics between her and jo- and Joseph Aaron are more interesting. But for me, that is the that's where the that's the only parts I can say that the sequel is better than the original. I think the original is scarier. I think it's more uh, like I don't know. I, I was more invested in the sequel. Other than Sarah, which is a huge part. So I don't know. They're both very, very, very close to me. Like, they're both good times. Totally. All originals are scarier than the sequels because, again, you you know what's coming. And so it's never going to hit the right. same way. Whether it's The Conjuring, Halloween, Paranormal Activity, you know, like, it's never going to hit the same. Right. But I think that this is a very interesting sequel. I think it's a very interesting script. I think there's more to play with in the mind and to like put into like your little folder of this is this character, Joseph Aaron. And I think that's what makes it work. So you almost have to like judge every sequel on its own merits to be like, if you yeah. were your own movie, would I be into you? And I would. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Absolutely. All right. So we are actually going to start something new with this episode. So for Creep and Creep 2, we're going to do them separately because they're two different movies. We're going to give our ratings out of five drinks. So how many drinks would we give each of these films? So Josh, what is your Creep 1 out of five drinks? How many are you giving it? Out of five drinks, I'd probably give it four drinks. Set. Four drinks, I'd probably give it four. Okay. Same. You're going to give it four? Yeah. Can we do halves? Yeah. You can do four and a half yeah, drinks. Okay. If... We do four. So like four, Ooh, three four doubles a shot. and a single? Yeah, four and a shot. <laughs> four and a shot. Okay. I'm going to give it, yeah. I'm going to give the first one three and a half shot. Three, three drinks and a shot. Into Dope. it. All right. And so 
two. Josh, what's your rating out of two? You know what? I'll do four drinks and a shot. I wouldn't put it directly out of five because, you know, there are some things in this movie that aren't perfect. But, you know, what? this movie is really good for what the movie is. You know what? Throw it up there. It's five drinks. Five drinks Damn. and a shot. Five drinks and a shot. In terms of found footage, I, I, I shouldn't be comparing this to what, like, other five-star movies are. That's not fair. In terms of a found footage film, compelling characters, good scares, I'm behind both characters for the most part of it, and then smart writing, good acting, yeah, it, it, it deserves it. I'm giving it a 4.5. Like, this, if I, because I always think when I see something that's, like, very manageable in horror, how it would feel on stage, and I think this would be more fun to see on stage than the first one, because you have the cat and mouse, and you have two people with intentions, and they both have goals. And so it'd be sexier to see it on stage. So 4.5. Because you'd want to play both characters yes. instead of just one. <laughs> yeah. I, totally I love that. I would love to see either of these films on stage, but I'm giving it three drinks. This one is, is three for me. That's fair. You're drinking enough. That's fair. <laughs> it's, it's water in those glasses. Right? How dare you? <laughs> no, I'm giving it three good drinks. I'm giving it like three Long yeah. Islands. Okay. okay like I'm yeah. not skimping out, but like, <laughs> I was like, you better not give me three Budweiser's. What? <laughs> What's this vodka soda? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's my usual. Anyway, sorry. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Josh for joining us. We always love when you're on, this, on the Fierce Street. Next week, we're... Oh, I'm so excited for this one. We are covering Evil Dead 2013, the remake, and Evil Dead Rise. We are doing that double, double toil and trouble, and we are doing it with deadites because nothing says Halloween like deadites, right? Look, I don't Boom. know. Look. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Again, thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Josh for joining us. And as always, make sure that you stay fierce out there. Bye.